issue wasn't that Jimmy cracked corn. It was yeah. just that I realised that I didn't care. Mm, you know? yeah. <laughs> hello, hello, I didn't see you there. Welcome to Dinner Party Small Talk <laughs> Plus DPSP Plus. Uh, my name is Matt. I'm Nissa. And we're here today, tonight, this morning, whenever you're listening to this. <laughs> I keep doing that. To talk to you about the movie The Room uh, and the book The Disaster Artist, My Life subtitled My Life Inside the Room, the greatest bad movie ever made by one of the principal actors of The Room, Greg Sestero. Yes, so we're going to kind of dive into the world of The Room. Yes. Um, uh, so, for those that haven't seen it, I or suppose. Or heard of it, although it, it has become like kind of quite the phenomenon. I was, I was talking to a workmate just the other day, but he'd never heard of it. No. So Maybe just in my some, life it's there, a phenomenon. There are some people on the face of the earth who haven't heard of it. Although I find that baffling, personally. Like, um, it just it, seems like it's everywhere. It's so there. Like, if you go on the internet, it's there. Well, I mean, and it's it's gotten such a following. Like, I mean, it's it's at Rocky Horror Picture Show levels of cults at this yep. point. Like, they have midnight screenings. Mm. People throw things, yell things. Absolutely. It's got its own, um, you know... Porn uh, parody? Oh, no, is that not where you were going? <laughs> that is not where I was going. True, though. Um... I, I, I was going to say it's got its own um, rituals and whatnot for, uh, for watching. And, yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, also, Porn Parody recently put out by Wood Rocket, who do a lot of kind of geeky porn parodies. I think How do you know so much about this? 30 minutes. I read a story on the AV Club. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so for those that don't, I suppose we can, we can slip yeah, character so, synopsis and plot synopsis into the yeah, same thing. Yeah, so we'll start with just talking about the room so the room so is the, the brainchild of one man tommy wizzo and that's how it's pronounced wizzo according no, to the I book i want to say why so why so that's all but I but say. but if we'll go into this detail later but if you understand sort of uh well the book speculates on where he came from and all this yeah. kind of stuff and if you understand that then you understand where wizzo comes yes. from. yes yeah. so we'll get sort of more into who he is but just take it he he loves movies. He's a man who loves movies. Always wanted to be in movies. Yes. And he wasn't getting the parts in Hollywood, and so he decided to write, direct, and star in his own movie. Now this is a man who is really bizarre, really protective of his own past. Yes. Uh, I mean, for just somebody just to watch the movie, you're gonna think to yourself, "Who is this guy? Yeah. Where did he come from?" Yeah. Because it almost he almost seems like an inhuman at times. Yeah. He's very strange. And and the room itself. Could not have happened without this man behind it. it. No. But it also could not have happened without the circumstances that he sort of laid the, the bed, the groundwork for. Yeah. So it was, it's a, just a perfect storm of horrible circumstances funded by ridiculously large amounts of money that all and came just together. Ineptitude. <laughs> an ineptitude that came together in this perfect way to make. Uh, what is say, what widely considered sort of the best bad movie of all time. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Tommy Tommy is independently wealthy, but refuses to divulge exactly where it's come from. Again, yes. this is speculated in the book, and we'll go into this in a little bit more detail later on. So, but, so he writes this movie that was originally marketed, and he put it out there as a drama. It is a sincere, heartfelt drama about a man who basically loses the most important people in his life. To yeah. Um, so, it starts with Johnny. He's a successful banker. Although he... He, although he's, he's up for a promotion, although later we'll learn he does not get it. Yes. So, uh, spoilers already, first sentence <laughs> um, 
So uh, he is engaged to Lisa, who is considerably younger than him, both in real life and in, in the world of the play. I think it's uh, another one of uh, Tommy's sort of indulgences in that um, yeah. he surrounds himself with young people and um, yes. yeah, and uh, is you know predictably. I suppose if you if you know him well enough, scripts a movie where his uh, fiance is at least twenty age, to thirty like, years younger than him. And that there are how many sex scenes they have? They have. Do they have two? They or have three? two. They have two. And she has two with other people because Lisa is bored of Johnny. She's bored now. She will alternately go um, scene by scene or as you've said even sometimes in the same scene yes. from saying she hates him to saying how kind he is yes at one point she goes from talking about how kind he is to saying he hit her yeah which seem um, like opposite concepts yes but uh, so uh, she's bored she's unhappy she, she doesn't want to get married and she cheats on him with his best friend Mark ah uh, Mark yes. who we don't really know that much about we don't know what Mark does nope uh, <laughs> other, other than, than the fact that cheat with Lisa he, yeah um, uh, although it is it is speculated in the book that he's a narcotics officer well that was like because there's no because the Okay, so you can't actually... I don't think you can see this in the film, but he there's one scene where he's uh, smoking dope, smoking oh, yeah. reefer on the, on the roof, <laughs> uh, and, <laughs> it's, and for some reason, it's hidden behind a brick... On the roof. On the roof. Um, and why they speculate, why would you do that? And, yeah. and they came up independently with the backstory, and you, like, when, when he first picks up the phone you first see him he's like I can't talk to you right now he's wearing glasses he's in a car somewhere he looks they nice. speculate that he's on a what do you call it a, a sting or a or a stakeout yeah, yeah. As, a nar- as a narcotic officer and that's why he hides his uh, his, his pot on the roof or his reefer as you his said, reefer made me really happy because uh, <laughs> you're a weird old man all of a sudden I say pot and I'm just like his marijuana we could say marijuana they, he hides his reefer on the roof I'm going <laughs> to no, stick with reefer um Anyway, so so Mark and Johnny are best al- alternately best friends and, and mortal, mortal enemies. enemies. <laughs> yes, um, but but I mean, and but basically, I mean, the movie is showing that Lisa is the reason for this—that she's manipulative and evil. Yeah, it's not a great portrayal for the your leading lady. No, but um, or any we lady, also, I dare oh. say. <laughs> We've also got Lisa's mother, who whose only function in the film is to turn up in like three or four different scenes and say the same thing <laughs> again and again, which is basically that uh, Johnny is rich and can provide for her. She should stay with him because he's a good man, also because he's rich and he can provide for her. She even says that when she's like, he hits me. She goes, look, he's rich. He's a good man. And I'm like, I know, even though he doesn't hit her, like, I'm pretty sure if you, you, you say that, you should mm. probably believe someone. Yeah. So at one point in the film, uh, Lisa uh, lies and, and for some reason and says that Johnny has hit her. It's really confusing. And, yeah. Because why... Which leads to one of the more iconic scenes in the film. She got him drunk, I think, to try and make it seem... To try and, like, get him to hit her? Yeah. Was supposed to be the idea? Well, she uses that as ammunition later on. Because then she's like, oh, he got drunk and hit me, but it's yeah. like... I don't know what she's trying but to But no get one out of. saw him get drunk. There's no proof that that happened. Anyway, she, she didn't have to do any of it. Doesn't make any sense. <laughs> uh, then you've also got uh, Denny. Denny, oh Denny, who's 
really creepy. A creepy man-child who has some weird, and I'm not sure if it's intended to be subtextual or if it's actually just genuinely he is a sexual deviant. Um, but it's weird but because not only does he like sort of seem like he's a sexual deviant, he seems like he might have some sort of a mental, mental disability. disability. Although yeah. he is at college, he's yeah. at university. But the way Some he says social... things and the way he speaks is like he, he behaves like a small child. Yeah, often. even though he's clearly like, supposed to be in his late teens. Yeah, like saying stuff like, oh, can I kiss you? Oh, just kidding. Yeah. Like, it's or very he, he joins odd. them when they very, very obviously head upstairs to have sex and says, I just like to watch you guys. And you're not sure if he just means generally or in that specific it's context. Very strange. Yeah. Um, so Who else do we have? We have Lisa's friend. You've got Lisa's friend. Her. I know her, the actress's name she, is Robin. I can't yeah. remember the, the friend's name, but she it's, and her boyfriend serve no purpose. No, her boyfriend. He's awful. He's a fucking clown, and his performance <laughs> bizarrely stands starkly against all the other performances as the most ridiculous? over the top and ridiculous. There's like, a, there's a oh, yeah, I would say over the top. It is because I would say that all the other performances don't don't reach the dramatic points. He goes. Above and beyond in ways that well, aren't. He seems like he's mocking it. Yeah. Whereas most everybody else seems either like they're not trying or they are trying, hmm. or somewhere and, in between, and, and or they're just inept. Went wrong. But he's like making goofy faces. It's very. He's very he doesn't strange. take it very seriously at all. It seems. Um, or his interpretation of the character is really, really yeah. weird. Yeah, and then we have some sort of side characters like we have Peter the psychologist. Okay, so 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 they, uh, yeah, so. Robin berates uh, Lisa a couple of times about oh, how friend, she shouldn't yeah. be doing... I'm going to oh, call her Robin because I don't know her, her character's of, name. She Mel- Melissa. Melissa? <laughs> I don't remember. I think it's Melissa is the remember. character's name. Yeah, Melissa berates Lisa a number of times. Uh, it's repetitive and whatnot. You shouldn't be doing this. It, and Lisa's like, blah, blah. Like, you shouldn't be doing this. It's terrible. And she's like, oh, Lisa. Like, yeah. she alternately finds it funny and horrifying. And Lisa... Um, delivers her favorite line I don't want to talk about it I don't want to talk about it I don't yeah, want to talk about, about it. it oh my god you hear it about 600 fucking times as she keeps talking yes. about it <laughs> um, and so this shit all happens and none of it really leads up to any consequence you've got Peter who's apparently a psychologist or a psychiatrist uh, they don't really know yeah, you have the guy who replaces Peter when Steve, when the actor Steve? decides has Steve? to leave the, the production Who's, Does he yeah. get a better job? And this is the thing. It's not like they make him the same character. They, they make him a completely different character. He just shows up. <laughs> up at the end and just starts berating Lisa for... And it's like, who is this guy? Yeah. What, what authority is he saying these things? So those are our main characters, yeah. I think. People who... Chris R? We're, we're making our way through the narrative, though, I think. I suppose that's what yeah. we're trying to do, even though there's not a lot of narrative. Chris R, the drug dealer, turns up at they're some all, point okay. and threatens Denny. No, no, let me just finish uh, this bit. There are a lot of subplots that just show up and then have no consequences later. Chris R turns up, threatens Denny for the drugs. Um, apparently they just... Because there's a, a citizen's arrest. Because apparently Denny has been buying drugs and owes Chris R money. No, no, he hasn't been buying drugs. He's, Chris R has just been loaning him drugs. To and, sell. No, 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 no. Like, or, just oh. giving him <laughs> drugs with the promise of money later on, which is not how drug dealers work. In, in, yeah, I'm pretty in, sure it's not. Yeah. Um, so, and then all something so nothing really happens for a long no. time but so, and it's like but but there's the illusion of things happening because so many subplots <laughs> keep popping up and then disappearing yeah. and never getting mentioned like, again like uh, Lisa's mom shows up at one point and is like well I got the test results back and I have breast cancer I definitely have breast cancer and she's like oh you'll be fine and that's it and they never talk about it again yeah it's so strange and, and then eventually 
Um, and but so everything is. I think it's supposed to be leading up to their wedding. Mm. Although it, I think time is supposed to be passing. But they keep saying the wedding is a month away, which is slightly confusing. Oh, I don't think time. I think this whole thing takes place over like two days. But it's supposed. I. It's weird though because it seems like Lisa. At least kind of... I don't know. I feel like she's supposed to... Maybe she doesn't like him even in the beginning. I guess after the first sex, she... Sex no, 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 no. She, no. she hates him from the start. She doesn't like him from the start. Well, not hates, but she doesn't like him yeah, from the start. Yeah, she's not into it. Yeah. It's okay. the very yeah. first day so within confusing. the context of the universe that she's ripping on him. Anyway, so... Was uh, it supposed to be sort of leading up to their wedding or the dissolution of the relationship? And apparently... is Oh, Johnny's surprise birthday party happens. Yes. Lisa openly flirts with Mark. They have a massive falling out. Uh... Everyone, they had, she admits at one point that she, right? Something like that, yeah. Like, he knows. Maybe not directly to him. Yeah. No, no, because he catches her out at the end because he records a phone call. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, anyway. anyway oh, goodness. He also spies on, he overhears a conversation that she's had admitting to her mother that, anyway. That she's having an affair, yeah. but then he also records her phone calls. Anyway, he, the best friend, friend is thrown out, uh, Lisa is thrown out, and then he kills himself. And then they all come back and they, uh, Lisa's They're very like, sad. Lisa's very sad. Mark drops her, and it's basically wish fulfillment for a teenager who... <laughs> Who's like, I'd show them if I just killed myself, they'd all feel so bad. And it's and it's exactly that. It, uh, it's, it's very childish. The emotion, the emotions at stake and the way people react are like children yeah. in a lot of ways. It's not emotionally mature human beings. So they're the people, and that's the basic plot. Yes. I mean, other things happen, and it's amazing. It is an amazing film. Except, it's funny. Except for the the four sex scenes totaling about oh God. Uh, between eleven, uh, ten and fifteen minutes total. And like the second scene is a horrifying sex scene. Yeah. They're horrifying. It's this creepy old man just watching his butt. It's just not great. And the ones with Greg Sestero in it are... He always has his pants like, on. Like he's attractive, but they're really cold and... Everything's and like, cold and awkward. Yeah. And it's they go and they go on for awkward. so long. It's like they've got this licensed music and they just play these sex scenes for as long <laughs> as the licensed music goes on. But for the majority of the movie, I mean, it is, like you said, it's this amazing coming together of all these elements that really, really does create some amazingly funny things. So we need to talk about Tommy Wiseau. All right, so let's get back into the man, the mystery, the myth, the legend that is. So Tommy Wiseau, uh, the book... So this is the Disaster Artist by Greg Sestero. Yeah, okay. So I don't know which how sort of how to approach well, this because there's so much to say. Yeah, let's actually instead of tar- starting with Tommy Wiseau, Wiseau, let's talk a little bit about. So the book is being written by Greg Sestero, who is a principal actor in the film. Yes, and was the line producer apparently for a really long time. But not really. Yes. Um, who is apparently he's one of the few uh, actors in the film that actually had any f- credits before yes. coming in. He. I don't think he's actually that good an actor. His performance is really lazy and awful. Yes. Like, objectively. But, I mean, and and the thing about the book that I think you have to keep in mind is that because of this, because he is an actor, that was what he wanted to pursue, and so when he writes the book, you kind of have to take a lot of sort of where he puts the blame for yeah. maybe his bad performance. I, like, it's a little, it becomes a little suspect when it's, he kind of deflects everything. Well, yeah, the only times he talks about his own performances is him explaining why his performances were the way they were. And it was never because was, of him. Yeah. It was always because of the way the circumstances made him feel. Yes. Um, Which, like, I watched, if you go on Red Letter Media's website, they have a great interview with uh, Matt Hannon from Samurai Cop. Samurai Cop. Cop. 
and he is excellent because in your when if you could you could probably describe it better in your words but uh, the, you said that um he or you identified mm. that he accepted that he did a shitty performance yes he goes look he's like look i mean he says all those he says similar things where yeah. it's like i never thought anyone would see the movie i never thought like it would get out there but you know what i did a bad performance because i thought it was stupid and that was a mistake like yeah. i should have been better even if I didn't if I thought I was being told yeah. silly things and, uh, and he didn't blame the director he didn't shame the director no he talks about how the director um, just he, he does say that he's responsible for a lot of the crazy <laughs> shitty shit uh, stuff that happens in Samurai Cole but, but he never he never blames him he never like sort of he never defames his character. Yeah, yeah. He's like, and he never says like he's a bad director. He's like, you mm. know, that's just who he was. Like, yeah. that's just his thing. Like, yeah. he's never like he's a bad director and also kind of a bad person. And it's 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 possibly it was it was the perfect way to approach this kind of thing. It made him really likable. Yeah. Like you watch it and you're like, look, he's taking responsibility for a bad performance. Yeah. He's he's not blaming anyone else. He's like, look, yes, there were reasons all these things were bad, but part of it is that I wasn't trying. Yeah. Where, Straight up. And where that, Greg never really... He never really accepts it in that similar way. Now, and, and, and because he's got a dog in the fight. Like, this mm. this book is not only a way for him to f profit financially, but it's also uh, a way for him to reclaim his dignity. Yes. Uh, and sort of get his... Because he hasn't done a lot, to be completely honest, in the, fifth, in the 11 years since yeah. the film aired in this. And I mean, and that is... I mean, that's 11 years... I mean, Matt Hannon is, of course... He lived a whole life. He's now in his mm. 50s. I think he kind of is like... I don't know, a little, like he doesn't, he's not probably not so... Not clinging onto that dream of being yeah. an actor, whereas I still no. think Greg Sestero is. Is, very much and so. And it's never really clear, I suppose, you can make your own mind up as to whether he was a good actor or not. He's you actually can... really been uh, like a lead actor in a film, uh, Retro Puppet Master. So you could watch that like and see if you think he's any good. Yeah, um, and I watched bits of it, and I felt he was a bit... <sighs> he wasn't very emotive. I'm going to say, so um, for this book... Um, you got the audiobook. Yeah. Now, I didn't actually listen to the whole thing, but I yeah. listened to parts of it, and I feel like mm. I, I, I'm going to listen to it. Because yeah. <laughs> it was really interesting. What it's a great story. Excellent. Well, let me really just say... Well, re really well-told story. Let me just say, I highly recommend this book. Absolutely. To anyone yeah. introduced... To anyone interested in Tommy Wiseau, uh, the film... Room. The Room. Acting. Acting. Yeah. The behind-the-scenes thing, or just a really fucking great story, because it is... An excellent book. But even in the reading of the book, like when he does the impression of Tommy, it's great. Mm. But I, I actually just found him reading the book, he seems sort of emotionless. Yeah. Like he, it wasn't an interesting reading, which I feel like an actor would normally give a really interesting reading. Which I didn't book. find it boring and I felt it, no. I felt it went up and down, but yeah, generally it, speaking, it it's, it's very much a man just reading something. Yeah, it didn't feel like... Rather like, than reciting it, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, well, I mean, like when I think of like, I've listened to a fair amount of books... Mm. Um, on tape, like I listened to um, Salman Rushdie's The Satanic Verses, and mm. I don't know the guy who did that, but mm. that man performed that. Like, yeah. you really, like, it had emotion and feeling, and you would think yeah. this being even his story, he would perform it a little, like, put it out there, yeah. but he doesn't. Yeah. Which is interesting, because I think most actors would be inclined to, like, read a story. <laughs> so I don't know, I'm not 100% convinced that even in his day to day life, he's actually that great an actor. Yes. And he, his, his background before that was modeling. Mm. Um, because he is very pretty. He's. Blonde, blue eyes, very sharp features. And he's the, but this is this is the, the one thing that struck me. He said he's very nice. Uh, he moved to LA. Yes. Um, to pursue his career, he didn't do anything creative on his mm. own. He just sought out film opportunities. He didn't find a lot. 
Eventually he got a job uh, out of necessity at American Apparel and he just settled. Yeah. Because he had money and, and I understand that feeling but I think if you move to another city with the intention of becoming an actor yeah. you show a little bit more uh, what is that word? Lust for, for, yeah. for... Well, you, you would try. Yeah. Hard, and you wouldn't, you certainly wouldn't then be like, I'm over it, I have a paycheck, forget it. Yeah. Because that doesn't really then seem like that's your passion. Yeah. Like, it just seems a little suspect. Yeah. I mean, like, nothing against someone who just goes, look, I tried it, it didn't work out, I'm gonna do this now. Like, there's nothing wrong with that, that's totally fine. Absolutely. But I think then to keep insisting that it's what you want to do then feels a little less true when you basically said you'd give it up to work at the gap like <laughs> yeah exactly but he is um yeah and so there's an unreliable narrator thing happening a little bit yeah you kind of have to take a, a bit of what he says with a grain of salt because like dog in the race and he spends a lot of the book basically oh, how do i say defaming is the wrong word but ragging on Tommy Tommy yeah. Wiseau. He spends a lot of it talking very critically of him. In He's saying that in saying that he spends a lot of it talking quite warmly about it. Yes. Um, he certainly doesn't paint him as just a crazy person. Yeah. But there is one point in the book where he basically says, after this event happened, I never looked at Tommy the same way. Which might you know, that is probably true and it probably did yeah. happen and that can happen when somebody kinda loses it on you. Yeah. Um I found it and, interesting when he would talk about sort of like history that Tommy had maybe let him in on, but then yeah. he's like, but I don't know how much of it's true. Yeah, exactly. Because how do you know? Yeah. Especially with a man who's so hidden about all of the things he does. So now let's get into sort of the picture of Tommy Wiseau. Well, I just wanted to say one more thing, is that it, I, I, on the same line, I sort of got a... It would oh, I, There were moments where I'd be like, no, nah, I've got a bit of a bad taste in my mouth about mm. this, when you sort of felt like he was profiteering on the insult of, of someone who we would call his friend. Yeah, like, it's almost like you wouldn't necessarily have to have all those, even if they're all true, yeah. you don't necessarily need to put them in your and book. And I think if Tommy read the book, he would be deeply angry hurt. and insulted. Because, and probably hurt because they were friends. Yeah. Especially from Tommy's point of view. And he goes into a lot of detail about just how aggressive Tommy gets when, mm. when even the name of his street is revealed yeah. uh, that he lives in. Um, let alone the thread of a narrative about his possible past that actually is sort of revealed through mm. the book well revealed speculated upon because again we don't know because okay. tommy is a man who we don't know very much about because he refuses to divulge where he got his money from and he's supremely wealthy like yeah the room costs six million dollars not that you would tell but because, <laughs> mainly because he bought all his own equipment yeah. um he drags shooting on for ages uh, and, and, and those kind of things, yeah. Yeah, and he he has all this money, and he won't tell you how he got it. He, if you asked him where he's from, because he does have a very interesting accent, he would tell you New Orleans, yeah. which is straight up not... Like, there's yeah. just... There's no way he was born in yeah. New Orleans. And so, he's not French, which will also tell you where he's from. Yeah. Not true. He just can't be. So it seems like there's two timelines in his life. Up until mm. he came to America and the new life that he decided to lead from that point. Yes, almost. and he basically decided to just be a different person. Yeah. In fact, it is speculated in the book, and I think probably fairly accurate, that the, Tommy, he was not born with the name Tommy or the name Wizzo. Well, it's actually Wizzo. No, it's speculated that his surname uh, is... Well, it's he speculated took it from that, his aunt and that uncle. it's speculated that actually, I, and I looked on the internet that his surname is actually very similar phonetically to his actual birth name, oh. and he he could have been called Tomash, because it's speculated that uh, okay, because in the book it mentions that he came from 
uh, Europe mm. uh, by way of France to America and lived with his aunt and uncle. Yes. And they have, and they were living in this city in Louisiana, Chalmette. In, is that how you Pro- pronounce it? Probably. However, Lu- what's ever French is probably. Shalmet, Louisiana. Shalmet. Um, uh, <laughs> and they had these two names. Anyway, someone looked up the uh, some kind of information on the internet for people mm. in Louisiana with these names, and they found it when their last name was pronounced W-I-E-C-Z-O-R, ah. which I imagine is pronounced v- v- Vizor. Or Vizor. Vizor. I kind of like that. <laughs> it's Polish. Which, actually, when you think about him being Polish yes. by way, and then through France, and then living in New Orleans, you're like, oh, that makes sense for his accent. And, and uh, some, some people have said that, I look, I'm, I'm Polish, and the way he speaks, leaving certain letters out, like R and and, 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 before certain words, yeah. and, and, and describing things as, like, uh, instead of going, let's go... He says, let's go to the something, rather. Like, uh, I'm trying to think of an example. Um, let's go to dinner, let's go to the dinner. Let's go to the dinner. There yeah, those yeah, kind of things. Examples. Yeah, examples. <laughs> and Tomasz is a very popular Polish yeah. name. So and, and he does, works. and yeah, so people who speak Polish are like, yes, he seems Polish. And you can buy that. Like, him being American is not, it's just not going to, it's not a thing. Yeah, absolutely. But um, it, there's a, there's a, th- a th- uh, later on in the sort of book, it, it runs, uh, it, it tells a, a f- almost like a fable-esque mm. story of, of this uh, person, this boy called T, who uh, I can't remember why, but um, he's, he moves to France when he's... He, he, I think it's just a lot of like trauma and he just doesn't want to live where yeah. he is anymore. Which I mean, if he is not the age he says he is, but the age that he actually probably is, um, because he would, of course, profess to be much younger than he is. Yeah. That's another thing that Tommy would say. Yeah. Um, he was well on his driver's license. It says 1968, um, but apparently Greg Sestero, uh, in the book, he says um, that uh, his he had some contacts, uh, and his immigration papers say that he was born in the 50s. Yes, which, which is, makes a lot more. It's sense. a lot more sense when you see him. You're like he's he was not born in this, like the late 60s. Mm. That doesn't seem accurate. Um, but the story that it tells is basically this this. He's in France as a as a young teenager, mm. uh, and has a terrible life living mm. on the streets, working for an abusive boss at uh, as basically an illegal immigrant. Yeah. Um, at this place, the place gets raided uh, for a drug raid um, for some reason, and he gets brought in and assaulted and in, like horribly abused and assaulted by the police. By the by the police, uh, and basically threatened with death and all these kind of horrible horrible things. Yeah. Um, and, and they talk about how that police beating is like one of the scars that he has on his face. Yeah, like yeah, you can yeah. still see it to this day. Um, and I, the way it tells it, it's like this is all stuff that he has said out loud at some point. Um, at some point. Because him and Greg have known each other they, at the, mm. a long time. But I, 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 I feel like it wasn't all said to Greg. Um, because it's never explicitly stated that it was all said to him. Yeah. It's just that he said it, at, he says these bits and pieces maybe to people and they don't know how much of it's true, they don't know what's not yeah. true, but he's gathered, this is sort of the story that you mm. can gather, but even then, we, we just, who yeah. knows. But he comes to America uh, because his aunt and uncle are, are there and he's always dreamed, you know, like he's... he's, he's an, dreamed of America. Yeah. Which, especially in sort of Eastern blocky countries... Yeah. That, yeah, you would be dreaming of, you know, America was painted as a very, especially through, it was all through Hollywood, yeah. so it was a very pretty picture of what America yeah. would be like. Uh, and he he basically starts out uh, selling these knick-knack toys for mm. tourists, 
um, for this man and he sells so many of them uh, he thinks to himself well fuck why do I need to be giving some of my money or the majority of my money over to this guy so he buys a whole bunch somehow it doesn't say Uh, it's again it's one of those things where while telling the story Greg will actually say you know um, like for example he's like uh, he's gone from France to America with a French passport how did he get a French passport yeah that's that's unclear Um, so it's unclear as it's whether it's even true Um, so he somehow has enough money to buy a whole bunch of these knickknack toys and these little birds these little toy birds that were popular in Europe and you can fly them and they sort of come back to you and whatnot. Uh, and he becomes so uh, he's he's used to using these toys Mm. no one in America has seen them before he becomes known as the Birdman which uh, in French bird is oiseau huh (laughs) yes so he becomes known as the Birdman um, anyway, he, uh... Even, doesn't he say that even when he's living in France, like, a newspaper wrote about him? Like, he's just sort of an interesting character and always has been. Yeah. And sort of a local character. Like, wherever he goes, people sort of know of him. Yeah. Oh, God, I love how... I love this story. It sounds like a fable. It's amazing. <laughs> it is like a fable. Anyway, long story short, because I can't remember all the details, <laughs> uh, somehow he basically gets enough money to start selling these, um rejected Levi's and all these kind of things like yeah. things with missing belt loops and he defective, sells them at a high defective, defective Levi's yeah. at a, or defective um, jeans at a, at a heavily discounted price and, and jackets as well and all this kind of stuff factory rejects that's what people call them factory rejects and he opens up a <laughs> um, uh, a store called Street Fashions USA <laughs> and he opens up a number of these stores after a bunch of time and he's like and it's it's like prime real estate where, yeah. where um, like some of the, sh- for example, one of the, 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 the locational shots of Alcatraz in the room is taken from the roof of the building that has a street fashions um, USA store in it. Now, I believe yeah. it's shut down now. It doesn't operate anymore. Uh, but but, yeah, and but the- it, it, it was, the people were in the building, like the, the woman from the mm. cafe uh, in uh, the, the 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 room. Yes. That is actually in that building. Yeah. And the person who 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 ran that actually addressed Tommy like he was the landlord. So he yes. clear he owns this massive expensive piece of real he, estate. And then he it's sort of like he becomes kind of a real estate mogul kind of like he's yeah. renting out this space. Yeah. Which would make sense if you think about like he always has an an ongoing yes. flow of cash. Yes. Like he has a lot of money. It's ongoing. And but he doesn't again, actually have to do a lot of work. Yeah. The only thing being is how he starts out seems kind of exactly. But, weird, but... I look. Let's take we. Uh, I live right next to Beaumont Street, and a lot of these stores are owned by elderly Greek and Italian men who That's spend true. their entire day sitting there drinking coffee. I don't doing think nothing. that they have six million dollars to make a move. No. <laughs> but, but you are talking about very expensive real estate. And I'm and I'm talking about. Foreign gentlemen who have come to this place mm. with out a lot of money, I imagine, invested in property and are living off. Yeah, it. I mean, really, as the explanations go, it does make sense. Like real estate, I'm like, oh, yeah. real estate makes more sense than other random things I've heard. Like yeah. I've heard stuff like, oh, you know, he, like that he just sold like these jackets and stuff. Yeah. I'm like, no, it can't be that. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. But real estate makes total sense. Yes, absolutely. So. Um, and that's that's where it speculates how he sort of yeah. That's one possible way that he could have got to where he is. But once now. again, it's all grain of salt. It's all it doesn't necessarily all make sense. It, all the pieces Absolutely. don't necessarily fit together. And he's certainly not willing to talk about it. No, not at all. And he's he's an odd character because like you have sort of 
that sympathetic backstory being told. But at the same time, you have all these instances where Greg talks about like him being really horrible to people on set, yeah. or just being kind of a shitty friend, yeah, and or like, just a jerk to pe- service people and those kind of things. Yeah, and as kinda, as a sort of projecting a, uh, a, 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 a oh god, I do this in every podcast, <laughs> projecting well, an air of superiority. Yes, I was gonna say it's mm. this weird, and it's almost like a weird. He has this. The way Greg tells it anyways, it's a weird jealousy with kind of everyone. Yeah. Greg a lot as well. Mm. But it's sort of like people maybe who would have it easier than him in some way or people who um, are attractive or have something. Yeah. He feels the need to sort of prove himself where he's like, oh, look, see, I can do this and, too. And it's, as as said, he surrounds himself with younger people. Yeah. He, um, he's, he's, he's withdrawn from older people or combative with them. Um but I, I feel like that air of superiority is sort of him playing the character of the Hollywood mogul that he mm. wants to be. So it's it's like be who you want to be rather yeah. than who you are. And again, it's but it's not necessarily how like an actual famous director would behave. Like exactly. I don't think Steven Spielberg walks around going, "Oh, I'm better than all you of know, you. Yeah. You see how good I am at this." Yeah, like, it's, yeah. it, but it's like it's the it's almost it's like, like a, he asks for hot water from a, a rest uh, a waiter, and the waiter's like, "Excuse me," he's like. Yes, you heard it. It's a simple request, you know. What, yeah. What's the problem here? Like, whereas I think most most people, and probably not all of them, but I think a fair amount of people, even when they're famous, probably still behave like regular people. Yes, they tend to be just treated differently. Yes, whereas he is acting differently to try and get different treatment. Yes, and it just kind of makes him sound like a real douche. But he got he's got that much money, like he's but financially still, secure. But also still, but he has no friends. And yeah, in a lot yeah. of ways, like it's it's weird because it would go again back and forth between sort of disliking him, but also feeling really bad for this guy who was clearly insecure and not. And very it's not happy. just pity. He talks a number of times about how he used like uh, like early in their friendship, he could just always make him laugh. He was mm. always he he really admired his um, or admires his uh, willingness to try anything, even if he has no prior interest yeah. in the thing. Like like they go out and. Um, you know, he had a soccer ball and he's like, let's play with the soccer ball. This is the first time they sort of... Because they met in an acting class. Yeah. And Tommy was just awful. And Greg was just <laughs> like, I have to try a scene with this guy. Yeah. So they meet, they go out, they go to buy, try, you know, buy a play. Yeah. Um, so they go to a bookstore and uh, he's like, let's do Tennessee Williams. Let's do Tennessee Williams. Because Tommy was always just obsessed with Tennessee Williams. Because he's very American. Yeah. I was yeah. like, because he's like quintessentially has written quite a few plays that I would say are just American. They're yeah. so American. Anyway, uh, Greg's like, well, maybe we go towards something with, you know, better roles for us or these kind of... Anyway. Things that would fit them a little bit more. <laughs> Tommy ends up choosing an Australian play that he's, that Greg's never heard of, never <laughs> seen staged ever before before or since. Um, That's amazing. T- they take it to a restaurant and, and Tommy, you know, urges them to practice it and he can't even speak half the words in his dialogue. So... I mean... Tommy can't speak the words in the dialogue he's written in the room. And but that Greg's Greg Sestero has a soccer ball with him because he expects that after this is only going to take a couple of hours. I'll go play soccer at the polo fields or whatever. Tommy's like, "You got a soccer ball? Let's go play." And so they go and play. And Tommy is fucking terrible. Like he's fucking terrible at this game. He's probably never kicked a soccer ball in his life. And that's that's exactly what Greg Sestero says. But he's like, he was. But he tried. Yeah. Like, he's willing to sort of just give things a go. Exactly. Like, there is something charming and endearing about someone who is just willing to yeah. just balls to the ball do something. And he's faultlessly confident. 
um, well, no, confident to, to a, a fault. fault. <laughs> yeah, so um, confident to a fault, which Greg yeah. Sestero really admires. Like, because he seems to question himself a lot. Exactly. He seems to be very unsure of himself. Yeah. And so, Although it is, it, he does later talk about how the fact that he uh, Tommy refuses to take any criticism. He re- mm. he asks for it, but then refuses to take it. He um he refuses to take direction. He refuses to um be corrected on his dialogue or any of his choices stylistically yeah. for the room, which is part of why it ended up being so amazingly awful. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's such an it's just it's a really interesting like group of people but really the character of Tommy is amazing and mm. I can understand why you would want to write, write blah, why you would want to write a book about this really interesting weird guy that people want to know about yeah but I do agree that there is a parts of it that feel kind of skeevy yeah because of that too because I'm like and it's not even an it's it's not even an a really in your face kind of thing it's just when you sit back after a few hours mm. of listening going he's just been ripping on him a lot like yeah, and they're supposed to be friends yeah and it's, it's not it's not like baseless insults yeah it's not like but a lot of it is speaking negatively of him disparagingly and then and, and like about deeply weird personal things mm. where like that he looks at his mail so he can see how much money he makes yeah. like it makes it's uncomfortable yeah but then there's the story of like, okay, so he's got his first movie role and he's told Tommy about it and Tommy has sort of had to really try to be excited for yeah. him. It's obvious to him. But anyway, he goes away to Romania or wherever to, to film this film for a few months. Um, the filming wraps up. The next day is Christmas Day. Uh, he wakes up that morning and he gets a telegram and it's from Tommy and he has no... And it's basically saying, Merry Christmas. And he has no idea how Tommy found yeah. out where the fuck in Romania he had to send yeah. that telegram. But he did. And he, he yeah. found it out. And it's funny because it's sort of like they're each other's only friend. Yeah. In sort of a... In a long way. Yeah. And it's really weird because Tommy's this bizarre, ugly, I suppose, for lack of a better word, he, social outcast. I mean, he's very strange looking. And yeah. he certainly doesn't do much to improve that with yeah. having the very long dyed black yeah, hair. Yeah, like, yeah. he ends up looking kind of witchy. He wears sunglasses, like, inside yeah. all the time. Like, he doesn't help his own appearance. And Greg Sestero is a very, Trad- I, I suppose, traditionally attractive yeah. young man. Although I don't find him particularly yeah. I don't, attractive. I don't either, but traditionally speaking, You can yeah. understand. You're like, yeah, he has sort of, he looks model-ish. Yeah, you yeah. can see that. Uh, and, but, yeah, they, like, for, for some reason, they became, became each other's friends. friends and... And, and they, and they were. were their only friends. Like, yeah. They, yeah. And especially because, you know, Greg coming from San Francisco, they're both coming from San Francisco to live in LA and they didn't yeah. really know anyone else. Yeah. So they really sort of became each other's, like, support well, system. Except that, get this, okay. Okay. <laughs> you know more about it than me, so. The apartment that Greg moves into is actually Tommy's apartment. Yeah. In LA. And he's owned it for ages and no one ever lives there. That's <laughs> uh, so weird. And so Tommy's already established in LA for whatever reason. But he lives in San Francisco. And he just keeps this apartment, just rents it every month. And no one lives there. And no one lives there. He is an odd yeah. man. So, so in saying that, yeah, well, I, I suppose you're right because there is a point where it talks about how it becomes evident that Tommy is a little bit jealous that, you know, Greg is sort of uh, going there well, and, and making all these I friends think and contacts. Life and, mm. is easier. Yeah. For Greg. Yeah. Than for Tommy. Yeah. Just life. Just talking to people is easier for him. And it's easy to dislike him when you hear all the horrible things he's done. Like... Yeah. Like, there's a bit where um, he um, talks about how... 
they have a fight and uh, what is it Greg does oh uh, someone rings the phone that Greg has set up in Tommy's LA apartment and mm. Tommy's uh, staying there for a little while and he gets a, he picks up the phone when they get a call because they're only calling for Greg yeah and it's one of Tommy's friends from San Francisco one of his best friends and he's talked about Tommy yeah and this friend doesn't hold back and it's because it's well known amongst Greg's friends that Tommy doesn't reveal a lot about what he does yeah. so this friend quizzes him on all the parts uh. that he's not supposed to quiz him on anyway Tommy's furious and he, yeah. he takes Greg in a car and is driving really dangerously and erratically and just hysterically yelling at him why do you talk about me why do you talk mm. about me uh, and you know he pulls over and he's like you're going to have to move out uh, I've got no space for you blah 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 so Greg gets out and he feels like his dream's crumbling uh, and he's really depressed and distressed mm. at this moment and Tommy pulls up he's like hey look it's okay you can stay in the apartment and Greg's like he only did that to see that he could still manipulate me yeah. like and it's easy to hate him after things uh, like that but then you the story that he tells of what could potentially be at least somewhat of his history, history. And is it, so tragic. And it could so easily be so much worse than that. Yeah. Because if you really don't want to talk about your past, it just doesn't feel like good things happen yeah. to you. Yeah. Or that you got to make a lot of nice choices. Yeah. But this is a man who's disappeared down the rabbit hole of choosing avoidance rather than acceptance. Yes. And it's weird... To think about that he made this movie, that he's like gonna make me all this money and it's gonna make me famous, and it has made mm. him famous. He's famous. And it's kind of a bittersweet feeling because you're like, yay, he achieved his dream, that's great. However, um, it's validated every wrong choice that he made. Yeah, like he, he, he did nothing right, but he still got what he desired yeah. and so then he's not going to improve yeah. like he um, you showed me Which is exactly he's the, on YouTube yeah. he does like he does video game reviews yeah. and you asked me do you think he understands that people are laughing at him and I'm like I think he thinks they're laughing at him because he thinks he's being funny yeah. I don't think he understands that they're laughing at him because he's trying to be funny and not succeeding Yeah. it's like I think he sees people like enjoying the room and he thinks they love it which people yeah. do but I don't think he fully understands that, no, we love it because it's bad, not just we love it because it's good. Like, I don't think he understands. And he's taken the tack Because now. I think he's chosen not to understand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he's taken the tack now that he he understands that people laugh at it, but he's like, good, it's eliciting a response. Yeah. And uh, not that my movie bad. was Bad, this was failure. supposed yeah. to be, like, a yeah. movie that made people cry for they're, two weeks or They're something? mocking me, yeah. Yeah, that this is... No, like, that they're not able to sleep for two not weeks. Not able to sleep for and two then, weeks. And then Greg Sestero in the book does speculate that he got his wish because of the, sh the creepy shit with Denny and... Uh, all there, of, there's yeah. weird stuff, but it's, it's so interesting because it's like he does... He gets what he desired out of this movie. Yeah. He has gotten it, but is it... Fame. It's fame. He got fame. He's successful. Hmm. He, you know, he is beloved in the, like, he would go to these, you know, shows and people will cheer him and yeah. get his signature and are so excited to meet him. That's what he wanted. He got mm. it. It just feels kind of weird from the outside to be like, Ugh, but it's not how you really wanted to yeah. get it. Like, it's, you know, it's the kid in class getting the laughs because everyone thinks he's a dick, but he thinks it's because they are his so friends. I think Greg Sestero is slowly struggling to deal by dealing with the fact that his fame is coming in a, in a different way. Yeah. Because he's, I think, very much got a similar sort of fame as Tommy. Uh, but Tommy 
isn't dealing with it in that sense. It's not no. like he's okay, dealing it as this is my success. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, okay. And like, everyone who misinterpret, everyone who interprets it differently is wrong. Yes. Which is basically the the sense you get from him every time he's given direction or asked. To which do, is yeah. amazing denial. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Although, if you had a really traumatic life, you might be able to disassociate in the way that that makes sense. Well, there's and there's a, <laughs> I think there's a point in everyone where normal people go, if everyone's saying that this is wrong, maybe I'm, I'm wrong. wrong. But yeah. he never, ever has that moment, no. at least not openly. Well, like, it's funny, because this is so weird, but, because uh, you one time asked me if I would, as, like, a hypothetical, mm. not, like, a real thing, but, like, if I would let Orlando Bloom fart in my face. And I asked... One of my finest moments. <laughs> and my first question was, would people know about it? And you said yes, and I said, absolutely not. It was for, like, $5 million. Mm. But I was like, no, because then I'm the girl who got farted in the face for the rest of my life. Yeah. So if I ever want to do anything legitimate, that's never going to happen. Yeah. And I think with Greg, for Greg Sestero, for him, that's what the room is. The room mm. is Orlando Bloom farting in his face and everyone knowing about yeah. it. It's like, yeah, he got a really great paycheck. We don't know how much, but he did get paid a lot of money yeah. by Tommy. But now he's known as the guy who was in the room. And yeah. that's not exactly a and, shining thing to have on your resume. And, okay, so uh, the guy that was originally cast to play Mark was just thrown out on a whim by Tommy. Well, not even thrown out. Like, sort of just <laughs> pushed to the side in a really public and time-wasting and money-wasting mm. and really, uh, really insulting way. Yeah. Uh, because Tommy refused to confront him about it. Anyway, he turns up. I think it's him. Dan. No. Maybe it's... He says Dan. Now, I think that's that guy's <laughs> name, but it's also the guy that plays Chris R. Oh. His name is Dan as well. Anyway, a guy named Dan, basically... <laughs> At the at the because the book ends at the premiere of the mm. film, and Dan turns around to to um, I want to say Mark, not Mark, <laughs> Greg, Greg, and says, "You know, I checked online. This is going to be on your IMDb for the rest of your life." Yeah. And Greg says something along the lines of, "I gave him a uh, you know a, a cursory laugh or cursory. That's not the yeah. word I'm looking for. Yeah, it is. Yeah, um, which sort of implies that it." that idea scares the shit out of him. Which I think is probably why he wrote the book. Because yeah. it's him trying to work through, like... And so, some of the books feel very hard, like he's trying to be like, look, I got an agent. Like, I'm, I could be good at this. Yeah. I'm not just the room. Like, yeah. it does feel like he's trying to prove a little bit that that's not In, in a little way. But see, this is this is the bit that, that I confused me some, the most about the book. There's other parts that feel very real mm. and very honest. Uh, and I, the majority... I would say all of the book feels quite... Most of the book feels quite honest. It's only yeah. the parts where I started to go, wait a second, that the book started to feel less honest. And it was because my perspective of it was sort of changing. Yeah. But not because of anything the book was doing. No. And I mean, and I don't think... No, no. But the thing is, I don't think that it would even be a conscious thing. Yeah. I think that... But also just your way to deal with the fact that you were in mm. the room. Like, you had a dream and now you are forever the guy who was in yeah. the room. And I look, I don't doubt that part of it was okay, this is my chance to tell an amazing story, mm. but also clear my name. Yeah. But one thing for the book is almost all of the principal cast of the film are going along with Greg on this book tour, which means that they are sort of implicitly agreeing they're with saying at yes. least the majority of it. Yeah. The stuff that they were there for, they're yeah. kind of saying, yeah, this is what happened. And I don't disagree with that. the stuff that was on staff. Like, on set. Yeah. Not on staff. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. On set, like, that 
sounds real. And it all look, all the stuff he's telling about his personal experiences with Tommy mm. all sound really believable as well. Yeah. The character of Tommy is very consistent throughout the book. Yes. Yes. And I mean, inconsistent even in his inconsistencies. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but that, but that, that feels right. Like, it does. Because mm. that's who he seems to be. And when you listen to interviews and stuff, like, he's just... Such an interesting, strange man. Yeah. And in some ways, I'm so happy for him. Because I'm like, you know, good for him. Yeah. Because he wasn't going to ever be Al Pacino. Like, he was yeah. never going to do something so good people would notice him. Yeah. So at least, if his life, as we can assume, was so horrible, you know what, at least he gets to live, like, the second half or the last third of his life as getting what he wanted. Like... Good. And he's not doing anyone else any harm, I suppose. Yeah, I mean... Apart from every single person on that set. Yeah. Who, it, it details specifically how he alienated and harassed. insulted and harassed, it, like, every single one of them. Yes. Um, but it talks about... Uh, one really interesting thing that the book talks about is it goes into explaining how the iconic moments became the way they were. Like, yes. when he walks up onto the... Um, on the, the, roof. the roof and he's like I did no, not I hit did her it. I did not it talks about how that <laughs> seven seconds of film took three hours to film That's because insanity. because and this is a consistent thing throughout the film he couldn't remember his own dialogue the dialogue mm. that he'd written he couldn't recite it oh uh, without getting confused uh, the only reason he's got the bottle in that scene at all the plastic bottle that he's holding is because Greg came up with according to the book Greg came up with the idea that he needed something physically to latch onto. He was very prop centric in his classes yeah. with with whatnot. So he, which actually makes sense because he, you know, English not being your first language, yeah. probably not having a lot of formal schooling, yeah. it would help you to not be too much in your head. Like that's but, actually something you do with kids with disabilities when they're having a hard time. You yeah. can sometimes have them like hold on to something that can actually help. Yeah. So he gave him this <laughs> bottle to make him focus, mm. uh, and it's you know it, it didn't wasn't long after that before they got their thing. But like. Um, it talks about... I did not. Oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> oh, hi, Mark. Such a great movie. <laughs> it, talk, it talks about how they did dozens of takes of the scene where Mark is discussing how his friend got beat up because some one of the mm. 12 men that she was having sex oh, with found Jesus. out. That's... And Tommy laughs, and they, they, they tried for a dozen takes to stop him from laughing, and he refused not to laugh. And then the one time he actually did it, he phoned it in because he yeah. didn't agree with it. There's some real... That that would be the one thing where I'm like, ugh, he does not like women very much. Like, but it's it is like, does he, really weird. Is he misinterpreting it, or is are they misinterpreting his intentions, or, or is, is he, he really just that fucked wildly up? Wildly misogynistic. Yeah, yeah. But it's hard to know. It's so hard to know. Yeah. Because a lot of the things that he thought were jokes are just not really funny. Yeah. And they're not jokes. They're like creepy or weird or just disturbing. But yeah. who knows why he thinks they're funny. But I mean, if you've had a fucked up upbringing, then you're going to think twisted things are uh, funny. Yeah. And some of the things that it talks about, that it speculates on what happened in his time in France yeah. and whatnot fucked up like yeah yeah and made me feel uncomfortable listening to it yeah it definitely. could have been the language that that greg was using to describe it though because it did feel a bit odd, gross the language that he was using maybe a little some... exploited yeah yeah um, but, but um but like... i mean again it's one of those things where it's like it's it's hard to completely condemn him because he feels a little clueless yeah <laughs> but there's a like it goes into into detail about okay for example the scene where um Peter, the psychologist, is uh, off. It goes into detail about all the little scenes that sort of popped up because Tommy just wanted to film one yeah. day. Uh, the coffee shop <laughs> scene where they talk about Greg's sex life. Um, that was based because apparently 
Greg had broken up with his girlfriend yeah. at that point and they just threw that in. So he's like, let's have a scene yeah. that'll be cathartic for you. Like, it'll make you feel That's better. That's exactly what we said, catharsis. There is a giant moth on the wall that I cannot stop looking at because I'm afraid it's going to fly into uh, my hair. There's, um, there's, uh, <laughs> I tried to kill it yesterday, but it disappeared. There's, oh my goodness. There's, uh, the, the scene with the, them throwing the football in the tuxedo. Yes. Um, spontaneous of course or, you, know, but the, yeah. you know that makes more sense I feel better that that's spontaneous because it makes no sense yeah. in the movie or in life and so to know it was just like let's do this now it's mm. like okay like at least it was spontaneous it, it was flying it's okay if it gets behind me low enough I'll hit it with a shoe okay um, <laughs> uh, and, and yeah but it, like for example so it's a Peter, Peter the psychologist yes. when they're in the when it's Chris when, sorry when it's Mark Tommy and Peter and they're having drinks and, and they're talking about women and all this kind of stuff and uh, two, two frequent apparent criticisms that I actually never noticed in the scene was that the character Peter blinks all the fucking time and there's one point where he turns around to the CD rack behind him and just starts touching all the yeah. CDs uh, and apparently this is because he smashed his head on one of the, the stairs in the stairwell gave himself a concussion and he's oh concussed God. in this scene, so he just randomly turns around and just starts feeling oh things. And the reason they left these takes in, though, is because it ta it took so long to get to these points yeah. with Tommy that often the only usable ones were the ones with all these mistakes and whatnot. Yeah, like, and so it was like, there's what else? We have to use that take because yeah. we can't spend another three weeks filming one scene. Exactly, uh, like like the scene with with the, the fight between. Tommy, um, you know, you're tearing me apart. It took three you're weeks. Tearing me apart, Lisa. It took th three weeks to film that. Which I, is I'm absurd. Pretty sure, I'm pretty sure it's that scene. I can't remember. The but... thing is, is that there movies film in three weeks. Yeah. Especially independent films film fast. Yeah. You do rehearsal, but you have to film fast because it's expensive. Yeah. But no, three weeks for one scene. Yeah, but Tommy was just injecting cash into this. He bought he one of it, the things that talks about not even major studios buy the equipment they rent yeah. it Tommy bought it bought HD and film bought lenses for all of them set um, up a rig so they were like right next to each other yeah. which I speculate is why some of the films seem really weirdly off because I feel like maybe they were trying to film with the other camera and yeah. forgot that they were filming on two yeah. and then they just released the one where it's like way off center and doesn't make any sense but there was some like Almost everyone behind the camera was an industry, was like a, yeah. a trained in industry professional. So, Not uh, all of them were veterans. Yeah, but, but opposed to everyone in front of the camera where nobody yeah. had it, like really had ever done anything before you. Everyone behind the camera knew what they were doing. Yeah. But they were but getting paid. <laughs> well, that's the thing. A, they're getting paid. B, they didn't have anything better on. Um, and and uh, when they did, they left. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It talks about how like uh, the guy who was often... For, for the large part of the filming tying the whole thing together a guy called uh, Sandy I can't remember his surname but um, he uh, was pr uh, script supervisor yeah. but also pretty much Everything. directed the whole thing <laughs> just tried to pull Tommy in line made yeah. try to make sense with what was going on and basically just spent the whole the first few months of the production arguing with him um, got offered a project with the uh DOP of Schindler's List, like his Spielberg oh, yeah, Spielberg's, DOP. Yeah, which is, and he's like, look, I gotta go. He's like, sorry, buddy, you gotta leave. Yeah, you know? come yeah. on now, I'm not gonna keep working yeah. on the room when I can work with the guy, yeah, who, like you said, shot Schindler's List, for yeah. goodness sake. But yeah, I mean, it's, it just, it seems like, and we haven't watched the movie since you read the book. I, I, look, I went back and I watched bits. Did you? Yeah. And it's really, really it hard. It changes it. Because the room. 
I'm not sure if I'm repeating myself, but the room <laughs> exists perfectly in its own universe. When you spoil the sense of uh, that being a real thing in a separate universe, yeah. and you, st- you start thinking about what's happening just off camera, mm. you can't help but... It, it throws an interesting light on it. You, first of all, I, don't, I, don't f- I didn't feel like I enjoyed the bits that mm. I watched as much. Uh, because it just, it was just terrible. It was just like awful. Yeah. Rather than being funny awful, it was just awful. Awful. Secondly, you see, for example, Denny. You, after knowing that that lead actor, oops, lead actor, that that actor is completely aware of how sus the character mm. is and how how just it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, you see how hard he's actually working to make this character make some sense or... and, and at least be believable. And you do believe that Denny is some fucking weird freak. And um, the guy playing him wasn't, so really good performance. And he committed to it. Yeah. And that, that to me, is the most admirable thing for most of the actors. Yeah. Uh, Lisa commits to it. She does, um, and she is given some confusing yeah. and horrible things to do. Lisa's mother commits to it. Yeah. Um, Chris <laughs> R. commits to it. Chris R. Commendable performance. Chris R. The only performance terrifying. that is actually decent in yeah. the film and he, he's not given a lot to do though but he's just supposed to be scary but you buy him yeah well apparently he would stalk the side of the stage just swearing at himself to keep himself angry that's amazing like, before so he, he was like he was acting man but he's not even a proper actor like, yeah they actually had to they did that out it was in, in an alleyway so ah. they did it in the crappy alleyway scene yeah in the alleyway set I should say yeah it was like one of the first things that they filmed um and uh he did that then he went away and then Tommy's like, no, I want to do it on the rooftop. Another spur, <laughs> spur of the moment. He's like, call, uh, call up Dan, get him to come in now. He calls him up and Dan's like, you know, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but yeah, all right. All right, let's do it again. Because he's getting paid. He, he, exactly. he seemed to have fun, you know, acting. And That's he's only like, one well, one scene. You, when can you come in? He's like, oh, well, I'm out shopping with my girlfriend. I, well, you know, I'll come in first thing tomorrow. Um, and Tommy's like... Uh, you know, where is he? He's like, well, he'll be in tomorrow. He's like, no, we need him now. And, and Greg's like, Tommy, he's out shopping with his girlfriend. Know, he can't come in life. now. Like, just... <laughs> but like, uh, um... but they committed. That was yeah. the thing. Like as retarded as the characters are, the actors committed to making yeah. it real. And you look at, um, Julia Danielle, who plays Lisa. Yes. And you watch her act like she's having fun with Tommy Wiseau and yeah. kissing him and all this kind of stuff. When tensions were just so high all the time. Yeah. Um, and the actors, were required to be there from 8am onwards. Tommy wouldn't show up till midday. So insane. Uh, and, but they were, they were required to be there and they didn't get paid by the hour. Ugh. So, and they, and so, but they fucking, they put in good yeah. performances, I would say. For what, I mean, for what it was. For what and it was. for what they were able to do and then what they, of course, on top of that, were directed to do. Well, see, and this is the thing. They're, and I, the silly I, lines they were you, having to speak. A lot of the time you can't fault their acting. You can mm. only, especially I find Denny, I, I, Denny, I, I look at him and I'm like, you, you know what? You brand new you respect go, for yeah. Denny. Because the character is is terrible, the dialogue is terrible, the The direction direction is terrible. terrible, The only thing that wasn't terrible was the actor himself. Yeah, really, he... he, Mm. You know, because he does convince you of this character. Yeah. It's just that when you're watching it, it's hard to... It's hard to separate the actor from the dialogue, the direction, the film work. But interestingly enough, the only one I I sort of looked at after reading this book and when that's just abysmal was, well, there's Tommy. Oh, Tommy. (laughs) Greg Sestero. Yeah. Because you can see how... And I can understand how you would get distressed and disheartened and phone a performance in, but he looks 
lazy like no other actor Here's on the set Here's the thing I'll tell does. you. I have been in some terrible productions. God awful. Mm. Productions I knew yeah. were really bad. Mm. But I never once was like, I'll just phone it in. Because I'm like, no, because the people who come, if nothing else, are going to yeah. be like, well, she was good. Like, you should at least try. And I've done bad performances. But it wasn't on purpose? <laughs> no, but I was, I was, you know, I was trying. I didn't know any better. I, exactly. I, I would There's argue, a difference. There's yeah. a difference between trying and not knowing any better and not giving a shit. Well, and the other side of it is, it's like, a lot of it comes down to direction as well. Of like, course. if you're giving a bad performance and you're not redirected, oh, like, not some of the blame has got to fall onto the... Onto the because you don't know what it looks like from the other side of the camera. Um, but... Nonetheless. But he had exposure to the dailies and all that kind yeah. of stuff. and um, He could have tried a little harder. Yeah, and it's like, it's it seems like, okay, so the, the party scene... Oh, no, okay, so, okay, <laughs> let's first, let's first... Um, talk about the scene where he walks in newly shaven and they're all in their tuxes yes and the camera focuses on his face and he says it's the most embarrassing thing I've ever had to film in my entire life um and you can see you can see the embarrassment on his face yeah he's sort of he's but he's not trying like and it's not that hard to just put yourself away and do yeah, the film just, if you're a fucking if you want to be an actor you just have to just it doesn't matter if yeah. you're embarrassed yeah you just pretend like you're not like that's and, the whole and point. at the end of that where they're mocking peter saying come and play basket wizards they do the cheap 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 and they yeah. actually say cheap 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 he's like you can see him and he's barely flapping his arms and he's sort of just looking around really self-consciously everyone I, else is doing it but him third and last mm. bit uh the bit with the um where they say surprise in yes. the party scene at one point he's he sort of just looks off camera and he's the only one whose focus diverts away from where he's supposed yeah. to be. And that's just lazy. But look, I can understand that he's gone through more than the rest of the actors have. Yes. Uh, and, and he's and just fed up. Yeah. But again, yeah. it does... It, it It is an interesting sort of dynamic. But he never takes responsibility for that. He's always the like... Thing. The circumstances were shitty. The direction was shitty. I felt embarrassed. Blah blah blah. It's not... But opposed to Matt Hannon, who went, the circumstances were shitty. The direction was shitty. I was shitty. And... Yeah, I yeah. should have tried harder. Yeah, yeah <laughs> Like, exactly. I just, you know, sometimes I didn't know, and sometimes I just wasn't trying. Because if you if you say that's that everything else is the problem, you're basically saying that you couldn't do better, which yeah. is really self-limiting. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I think it reflects negatively on you. Yeah, especially when you've had 11 years to think about it. Yeah. Like, I know it's not as long as Matt Hammond's had to think about it, but you've had some time to think about it and go... Yeah. Ooh, I could have tried a little harder. Yeah. Like, and so to not take any responsibility, that's, I think, where the book will occasionally feel a little, like, huh. But, like you've said, amazing. Yeah. Overall. Yeah. But I love this book. Yeah. I, I it, it got to a point where it would alternate. I can't remember if this happened immediately, but it would alternate between chapters. So one chapter would be starting from uh, Greg's past, going yeah. through meeting Tommy, going up to the start of... The room. The, the, sorry, the ending right. of the scripting of the room. Yes. Um, and then each uh, the other chapters would go from the start of the filming of the room to up the until premiere. the premiere. And it would... Um, alternate chapters. Alternate yeah. between that. And the format was excellent. The storytelling, I felt, was quite good. It was He was co-written by another guy. I don't yeah. know how much influence he had on it. His last name is Bissell. And I... Tom Bissell. I suspect is heir to the Bissell fortune, which I, I'm pretty sure is a vacuum cleaner. Okay. <laughs> It's really late. I was hoping you were going to mention what that was because I was like, I can't remember. <laughs> or you mentioned this or whatever. But um, the the yeah, uh, if you get the audiobook, his um, his Tommy impression, Tommy impression pretty is, awesome. is spot on. Although the hard copy has photos in it. 
Yeah. Which is great. And it's got like photos of Pat Oswalt and whatnot at the, at the screenings and whatnot because that's how this movie became oh, famous. Oh, yeah. It's... Apart from being uh, on a $5,000 uh, a week billboard. Yes, the um, billboard that like stayed up for ages and people were like, this is crazy. Or, yeah. Yeah. Which, um, which I don't think he was paying that whole time, but I think at a certain point, if nobody else buys the billboard, yeah. they just leave it up because it was just like starting to deteriorate yeah. as the years went on. But apparently, the, the okay, so if you look at the room uh, Blu ray, or, or you look at the poster for the film, the picture of Tommy Wiseau sort of leering at the camera with his lazy eye and whatnot yes. was his favourite headshot. Shut up. Not even kidding. That's amazing. He called it Evil Man. Um, and apparently... Why would he think that's a good headshot? Apparently he would get spend thousands of dollars on headshots and whatnot. And yeah. And he would get Greg to look at him and he'd be like, what do you think? And, and, and Greg is like, Tommy, these are scary. Yeah. Like, <laughs> he's like, you, have a, you actually have a really sort of charming... And, and lovable quality kind of about side, you yeah. that you hide in these things, uh, and he's like, "No, it's dramatic. You gotta, it's dramatic. You know, it's like, no. yeah, it's like this is acting, and, and it's, it's like, like, no, like you want to look personable because if someone looks at a scary photo, they're gonna be like, Ugh, I don't want that guy coming exactly. in. Exactly, looks like a serial killer. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing that yeah. that was his favorite headshot. Favorite headshot. That brings me weird joy. Yeah. Overall, though, I mean, if you haven't seen The Room, see The Room. If you've seen The Room... See it with friends, I would recommend. Oh, yeah. Don't... It's, look, it's funny on your own, but see it with friends. If you're going to watch it on your own, definitely watch it with the riff tracks, because then at least you feel like you have some friends yeah. with you to make fun of it alongside. <laughs> don't, don't be sad like Nyssa. Watch, <laughs> watch it with your uh, fake friends. Um, but I, I, only because, like, the, for the first half hour of the film... The sex scenes come thick and fast, and they're so boring. You need to have people to talk to. Especially considering the two ones with Tommy and um, and Lisa are the same sex scenes, yes. just replayed, pretty and, much. And they're they're creepy and gross. Yeah. And you're gonna want to share that with your loved ones. Yeah, but um, <laughs> yeah, I remember I was like, oh, you've got to see this film. It was this girl I I wasn't I was friends with through through my class at um you know in the acting class. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, come over to my place. Well, I, I'll watch this film and. Immediately it, sex scene. And I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm, and then a sex scene. I'm like, was this with you? No. I no, wish this was, it this happened. This was someone else. And I was like, laugh. this is so awkward. You know what? I'm, I'm so sorry about this. <laughs> all of a sudden, you seem, you seem like you've invited her over for yeah, porn. I had to turn it off. Because that's what it's, it's, it's it like. It seems like porn in yeah. the first bit. Because there's one scene soft and then porn. softcore porn. It seems like that's what the... And it isn't what the movie is. Mm. But there, there are glimpses of that a little bit. And they come thick and fast and they get boring. But, um, they, so but after I, the first bit, they're gone. So watch it with friends, some beers and snacks. Yes, yeah. definitely. And then after you watch The Room, read the book. Yeah. Read The Disaster Artist because it will just illuminate, yeah. I think. it. But I think watch the movie first so that you can enjoy it on its own. Yeah. Read the book and then maybe think about rewatching the movie yeah. if you can stomach it. <laughs> See, this and another book I read recently that I also highly recommend for anyone interested in the subject, The Masters of Doom, um, uh, accounts, third-party well, I suppose that's a first-party account, but third-party accounts are... No. No, it's not even a third-party account. Ugh, don't look what at me like happening? that. I don't know. It's late. I don't late, even know which right. book you're talking it's about so right late. The Masters of Doom. Oh, okay. You bought it for me, didn't you? I know. You? Yeah, it was a birthday um, gift. <laughs> uh, it's about... Uh, this, this one in particular is about John Romero and uh, John Carmack and uh, sort of how, how id Software came about. What a, the anyway, creation of the video game. Yes. And, and sort of their legacy yes. for it. Accounts of these sort of moments in time that are told uh, 
a little bit from within and a little bit from without. That sort of uh, illustrates sort of the creative process. Yeah, exactly. Two awesome books with a really similar sort of, uh, I suppose, heart. Uh, mm. That that two of my favorite books that I've I've read recently. Um, yeah. So it's. Oh, well, yeah. you're welcome. Yeah, but um, <laughs> yeah, Disaster Artist is is one of my favorite books that I've read recently. I think it's excellent. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, so recommend for both Disaster Artists, probably you can read on your own. It's a little yeah. awkward to read with friends. Hmm. I mean, you could read it in the same room, I guess, if you both had copies. Well, we had the audiobook and we'd listen to it together. It's true, you can do that. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so, so... Highly recommended. Highly recommend. And just, just as a way to dip into such a strange world with such interesting people. That somehow feels like it's so alien, it feels fictional, but mm. apparently it all happens. Yeah, and so and that, there's that. And that's the best thing about the room. It feels yeah. like it couldn't possibly be earnestly made and somehow it was it was just absolutely earnest in yeah. earnest which is which is kind which is why it's wonderful yeah it's why movies like Sharknado do nothing for me but no. the room is beautiful because, yeah and everyone should watch movies and it's that the only kind of bad movie that will ever be good is the kind that you know what the people who made it were really trying yeah and it just fell apart yeah well that's all for us from yes. DSP DPST Plus. <laughs> you always want to say DSPT. Would have rhymed if I hadn't fucked it up. <laughs> DPST. Um, yeah. But uh, uh, have a lovely. Yes. Thank you so much for listening. Evening, day. We're really we're gonna go to bed and try and hide. Well, we're also gonna try and hide from the moth. Yes. So good night. But uh, before, before we go, I would like to keep talking to you about Jimmy Crack. Uh, you know, I don't care. <laughs> 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 <laughs>